0: That would make me really sad if Asia started replicating Silicon Valley standards. I think money and success expose people. I don't think it changes them. Do you give a shit of what people think?
1: Occasionally. Right. (laughs) I
0: respect that.
2: (laughs) Hello everybody, my name is Yan and I'm a Startup brand in Asia. I am based out of Shenzhen, which is a city in China. And uh, I'm super excited to be speaking to you right now because we are relaunching this podcast and uh, I just want to give you a brief introduction about this podcast and also about Startup Grind if you belong among those that actually don't know us so well because maybe somebody just forwarded this episode to you or you found us online and so... Startup Brian is number one entrepreneur community in the world. What does it mean? It means that we have people in 300 cities globally in 110 countries, if I'm not mistaken, right now. And we host a lot of events and conferences to inspire, educate and connect entrepreneurs globally. And With this podcast, uh, we want to bring some of those interviews and the content and insights and experience that we have from founders from all around the world. And I'm even more excited about the interview that we are going to share with you today because uh, I had a pleasure to interview one of my favorite entrepreneurs out there his name is gary vaynerchuk and i guess that all of you have heard about this guy somehow somewhere either on social media or at some conference or from your friends because he has been very active recently pumping out a lot of content and trying to educate entrepreneurs a lot so here you go gary vaynerchuk coming to you from startup grind hong kong chapter talking about entrepreneurship asia self-awareness and many other things i hope you're going to enjoy the interview as much as i did and if that's the case please leave us a review give us a like or share this episode with your friends that need to hear it that need to hear from gary vaynerchuk so without further ado please enjoy Cool, so before I introduce Gary Vee, I just want to acknowledge Jan. Jan Smeckle made this happen today, and he made it happen just purely through hustling. So uh, while I'd like to give a very, very long introduction to Gary, he needs no introduction. Please, int- please welcome the social juggernaut himself, Mr. Gary Vaynerchuk. And no introduction for me. I did it. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Oh my god. That's a big crowd. Gary V. Yes. thank you very much for coming. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. This is this is incredible because uh, as Brandon mentioned, I've been working on this for the past six months. I actually met your team in New York City and uh, we jammed a little bit, so it was amazing. But uh, I don't want to spend too much time on this. I really want to give people a chance to ask you some questions later on. But I want to set some context for that because I don't know Probably there are some people that don't know you so much. Yep. So, uh, you know, the first thing that I want to talk about, I watched the interview uh, with, uh, that you did with uh, Tom from Impact Theory, and he did an incredible job. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, one thing that uh, I really enjoyed was the uh, 51, 449 karma and practicality and all of these things. Could you just talk about that, like, like being a nice person, bringing value first, what it means for you, and then we can deep, uh, we can go deeper, you know, how other people should manage it when they're just getting started. Because I think that's, that's like super relevant for these guys because we're just getting started. We are not so big as you are, but you know, we should provide even more value probably, but also we need to focus on the business, right? Business side and building it. So could you just uh, talk about it a little bit?
0: Sure, first of all, thank you guys all so much for coming. It's, uh, it's awesome to be here. Um, yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think karma is practical. You know, I'm, I'm confused by people's inability to understand how human beings work, and I think that a lot of the reason that startups are gonna fail at a record rate, which is exactly what's gonna happen over the next decade, is that so many people in this room are gonna build their business in the eyes of a VC, not in the eyes of the market. All of their behavior will be predicated on raising capital not I'm bringing value. You know, at its core, the reason I'm answering this question that way is you have to reverse engineer what you want. The greater your ambition for legacy and something meaningful, the greater you are as a person because it's really the only practical way to actually pull it off. Uh, you have to provide more value than you ask for in return. And so for me, all I want to do is from a, you know, when I, I think about being an entrepreneur like being an athlete. I think about my life when I don't have my jersey on and I think about when, my life when I have my jersey on. And when I'm an entrepreneur, when I put on my jersey in the morning, you know, there's two main goals in my mind. One, to build the greatest legacy of being an entrepreneur, what I would consider getting into the hall of fame. And, uh, and two, That's my macro, and my micro is to be successful that day. right? It's a day in, day out thing. So, yeah, I mean, my thesis is that I need to bring more value in my content. Uh, I need to bring more value to my employees. I need to bring more value to my clients. Uh, I prefer the leverage of being more valuable to you than you are to me. It's actually quite practical. If I'm more valuable to you than you are to me, that ultimately should work itself out for me in the long term. And I only play long term. Like really, really long term. Like, the end, <laughs> you know? And I, and I don't think most people do. I, yeah. I, I am so grateful that I'm wired and parented in a way where when I was making $50,000 a year, that was, like, I just, I'm gonna say something that confuses me. I just think $50,000 a year is enough money to live your life. I don't know. Like, it's not enough if you wanna have a fucking yacht in the fucking water out there. Um, but I I have not been driven by capital and money pretty much ever. Um, you know, look at my actions versus my words. I built my family's business to a much bigger business than it was. I entered my dad's business, it was doing three Point something million dollars in sales. I left it as a business that was doing 60 million dollars in sales. I own zero percent of Wine Library. Zero. I then started on the back of what I was doing as a marketer, a new company called VaynerMedia. My brother, AJ, was graduating from college. He was no experience, no equity in the marketplace. We started VaynerMedia and that company was 50-50. Like, I just am not driven by economics, and um, and that's fine because other. And by the way, if you are great, it's just that I give more than I receive because it's the game I'm actually playing. And you have to decide your game. If your game is predicated on you want to own a yacht and a nice home and a gold watch, then that's fine. Then you should care about short-term economics. Um, but short-term economic strategies leave you vulnerable.
2: You know what I love about you? That you actually care about people. And there are two stories. So first, I don't know if you remember, but first time we met was actually in Lisbon. So I was waiting for you at the speaker prep, and I just wanted to have the book sign. And you arrived late, the bodyguards were like, you know, pushing you, you cannot go in. And I told you like, hey Gary, I'm a big fan, I just want this book sign and you said like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm speaking in like five minutes, but you went in, you just put your luggage there, and then you came out and signed my book. And the same thing happened. I have a friend, Ayush, over there, so I was sitting with him yesterday, and he took a selfie with you at Rice, and like uh, then he, he tweeted it, and you liked his tweet, and he was like going crazy about it, you know, like he was like, ah, you know, so, so like I, I love this about you that you actually spend the time, now we are in a Tesla, we are driving here, and you're like just tweeting and like checking Instagram and you're just doing it like all the time, the work ethic, you know? Like you're just online all the time.
0: If you were privileged enough for people to actually care that you like a tweet, (laughs) then you need to take that responsibility and do something with it. Like I will never take for granted, like guys, I have been somebody who loved entrepreneurship and, and I didn't call it entrepreneurship, I'm old, I'm 41. I called it being a businessman, right? This was everything and anything I ever wanted to do. If you thought at any time in my teenage years that I thought that being a successful entrepreneur would lead to people treating you like a successful athlete or rock star, there was no part of the vision that that was gonna be any part of it. So the added value of admiration is such a cherry on top. It's why I push people to do the thing they love the most. You don't know how the world's gonna play out. All my friends who were such unbelievable video game players in the 90s, whose parents made them stop playing video games to be a lawyer, none of us knew that esports was coming. They could have been the Tony Hawk, <laughs> right? Like you, know, like, you don't know where the world's going. Too many people make decisions on how the world is today and they're making decisions about 14 years from now as if the world will stay still. So I can't wrap my head around taking for granted people thinking I'm cool, and I will work hard to show my gratitude for the rest of my life.
2: Yeah, but also it's amazing business strategy because we were just talking in a car about, uh, you know, Paul, uh, Jake Paul and Logan, and they're just building an empire just by doing YouTube videos and engaging their fans and basically just like showing them the love. So it's amazing business (laughs) strategy at the same time.
0: Yeah, but it's only a nuance. You can't show people love unless you did something that made them like you in the first place. Yeah. So what Jake and Logan Paul are, are incredible programmers and producers and content producers for a new environment, no different than Steven Spielberg and George Lucas were for the theater environment of the late 70s. Like, I think we underestimate what it takes to be a KOL uh, in today's environment. We think it's easy for some reason because it feels so remarkable that if you're cute or funny or what, like it just feels weird, right? Like, oh my God, like, you know, you're just charismatic or or have a nice smile or a great figure and now all of a sudden you're making, you know, a lot of money. The reality is being pretty always made money. It was called modeling. You know, like being funny always made money. You just did it on stage. That's what Richard Pryor and Eddie Murphy did and now You know, King Batch might just do it on Vine or Instagram. Like, nothing's new. The mediums are new. Do not have the audacity to underestimate what it takes to have enough success that a lot of people pay attention to you. Do not underestimate that. You're thrilled to, but the market is smarter than you.
2: Awesome. And now, uh, we are in Hong Kong, right? This is your first time? Yes. This is your first time in Hong Kong? Yes. How How do you like it?
0: I you know it's funny, uh D-Rock and I landed. Yeah. And we were we didn't even leave baggage claim. It's <laughs> 5.04 in the morning. We're in baggage claim. And I looked at him and I go, I think I'm gonna fucking love this place. <laughs> it's been it's been an unbelievable trip. I texted my wife and said we're moving to Hong Kong. <laughs> I'm, I'm not moving to Hong Kong. I'm not moving to Hong Kong. But uh, I uh it's, uh, look, I think uh, a, a lot of, I see a lot of familiar faces. There are people here who do, do know me. Yeah. I I need action. Hong Kong has action. So it's interesting.
2: Well, I guess uh, China has action too. And sure. so, because, you know, on your daily Vs and in your content, you have been pushing China quite a bit. You know, you have I've some.
0: alluding to some ambitions.
2: You know, and <laughs> the the one of the latest daily Vs, or not latest because you do it every day, but, you know, you were in Cannes. And you said you're going to dominate China in three years. So tell me, like, why China? Why do you care about China right now? And what's the strategy that you're uh, uh, executing against right now?
0: I don't know if you heard, but there's a lot of people there. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I mean, you know, one thing, you know, again, something that I think some of you have heard, I don't like talking about things that I don't know. And I don't have the audacity to think that my brand or my businesses can be successful in China until I'm very thoughtful and committed to giving that a chance. And so, you know, I'm starting to feel good about the infrastructure of the Vayner machine in a US standpoint, in a European standpoint, and um, to be very frank, intuitively, intuitively, I just feel like it's time for Asia, Uh, which is why I said yes to Rise, which is why I said yes to the event I'm doing in Singapore in October. I've never, not not only have I never been to Hong Kong, I've never been to Asia prior to this trip. I mean, you know, I've been to, I've been to India, I've been to Australia, depending on how you want to define things. But like, yeah. I've not been to this part of the world. And ironically, the the purity of entrepreneurship, and I would and maybe purity is not the right the rawness of the entrepreneurship in Asia is far more aligned with my rawness of entrepreneurship than the U.S. or Europe. So I think it's going to be very native to me. I'm excited about it you know i think i have a humongous advantage in being born in soviet russia so i come with a lot of humility of the amount of work and listening i'm going to have to do over the next 2 to 3 years i you know i like challenging myself yeah you know i feel like i'm one of the only people on earth that can literally amass billions of dollars and still be deemed a failure if i don't buy the jets <laughs> you know i And so when I shit like I'm going to dominate China in three years, that's to motivate me. That's me playing my own game for myself. I think I won't be doing anything close to dominating China over the next two years, even though I'm going to put in a lot of work. And then I think I'm going to understand and I'm going to turn it on. And I do think in a three-year macro, five-year macro, I'll have some success um, because I think it's intuitive and native and very aligned with my spirit. And I also think the youth, the entrepreneurial youth of China both on patients and on their relationship with their parents are going to get a lot of value out of my content.
2: Awesome, um, and actually, I just want to follow up on this because you know you said you don't like to talk about things that you don't understand. But like this morning, we are having breakfast, and you actually, or actually lunch after lunch, and you actually know a lot of things about China in terms of like. Where the KOL industry is, and this—how do you do this? Like, do you have people in your team that are doing it for you, and then you just analyze, or do you actually read something, or how do you uh, absorb this information? You know, because you're so busy running around the world and you know speaking, doing business. So, how do you how do you manage this?
0: So, Drock, right before, right when I got off a stage right now, um, back at the conference, said to me, it's been really cool for him to watch me navigate here over the last two days. He asked me, did you read anything about the market? And yeah, yeah. I said, no. He said, and I think he intuitively understood that that was gonna be the answer. Listen, you know, the one thing I think, so I think if you know who I am, I t- you know, if I say to you the word hustle, that seems very natural. You know I care about that. I talk about that. If I say the word to you smart, that feels foreign because I never speak about it. I rarely, if ever, talk about how smart I am I mean that, and the reason I don't talk about it is because I don't think that that brings you any value. You know, I think making you realize that work ethic is a variable that is far more controllable than almost anything else that is a direct indicator on your success is a valuable conversation. I think me telling you that the answer to your question is that I absorb information so quickly and synthesize it through a filter that is so intuitive that I'm successful at marketing and communications is cool for me, for myself, and I'm happy about it, but not something I speak to. I think, you know, I think I, I understand human beings, period, end of story, and I understand and I respect cultural differences and nuances, but no matter what, communist Russia, communist China, capitalistic America, capitalistic London, we all have our cultures, but there are so many things that are tried and true human, no matter where you are, and I trade on those things. And it doesn't take you long to, re- I have never heard the term KOL 36 hours ago. <laughs> I call it influencers. Yeah. But if you call it KOL, then I'll call it KOL. Like, I, like these are semantics. Influencer marketing is influencer marketing. I want to remind everybody here that I started a Vine agency four months after Vine came out, that every person you know in America, globally, outside of China, influencers, I've touched or knew before they like blew up. Like My contest picked Logan Paul yeah. to be the next Vine star. Like I've been in this. I was an influencer on YouTube in 2006. I was an influencer on Twitter in 2007. These things are tried and true. I'm very good at pattern recognition. I'm very good at human psychology, and I'm extremely good at humility in the early stages when you have to understand the nuances.
2: Amazing, so guys, because uh, we want to provide some value here, some questions. Who has a question for Gary? Is there any question? Yeah, here. Uh, How many
1: hours a night do you sleep? Do you track your sleep or anything
0: like that? I don't track my sleep. I, uh, I, I invested in a company called Wakemate, which was an early like tracker technology back in the day, like 2009, but their first hardware like combusted into flames randomly and so they went out of business. Um, But uh, that was the only time I was close to ever tracking my sleep. I sleep six hours a night. Like, you know, I try, I'll sleep more, fuck. I wish I could sleep all the time to be very, like I, (laughs) I, I, I hate the idea that people think that I'm against sleeping or that sleeping is not cool. Sleeping's fucking important. I am far more passionate about what you're doing when you're awake than I am when you sleep. I'm not worried if you sleep eight hours a day, I'm worried that you're fucking around the other 16. So I think the sleep conversation needs to be talked about more and defined, and I've been very, I'm glad, it's a great first question. I just, I'm curious, And by the way, I'm only curious about what you're doing 16 hours a day when your mouth is ahead of your actions. If you're telling me you're going to build a hundred million dollar company and you have any leisure, I'm calling you out on bullshit. It's hard enough to build a million dollar business. You know, one that's actually profitable. So, um, I try to sleep six, seven but I get plenty of fours and fives, they happen, but I prefer not. I mean, one of the biggest reasons I would think I want to spend more time in Asia is these fucking 16 hour flights, I can get a nice like eight, nine, (laughs) ten, and still get work done, like I was like, this was literally the happiest day of my year so far was the 16 hour flight here. I hadn't been sleeping much because of serendipity, so I slept 10. Cathay has no Wi-Fi, so I wasn't distracted and ADD'd out, so I had six hours of work, got my inbox to zero for the first time in five and a half months. I fucking land, fucking rested as shit, inbox zero, I'm like, fuck yeah. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Another
2: question here. Cool, thank you. So we know a ton about a lot of
1: your successes. I was curious to know, can you walk us through one of your biggest failures and what you learned from that?
0: I think, you know, look, I've only run two businesses in my life and they're both gonna end up being pretty fucking successful. I think my failures are the things that I didn't do. Like, I don't think anything I operate is gonna fail because I don't have failure behavior. I'm patient and slow, so I'm not overextending myself. I'm not driven by short-term capital, so I'm not overextending myself. I have skill and was making $4,000 a weekend when I was 12 years old selling baseball cards, so I'm a naturally good business salesman. I know how to run my shit. Uh, I don't care about what anybody thinks about me so I never do behavior that postures ahead of what I can afford. So I don't have behavior for operational failure. I think my failures are in all the opportunities that I have, I'm crippled by opportunity. Every single day I get three to four emails that are batshit crazy, right? Do this, do that take 50% of my company to this, become the face of this TV show, open this office, I'll give you my business, buy this business. Like, I'm crippled by opportunity, I'm saying no so much, so many of those things should have been yeses. So, yeah, I mean, like Travis, right? I, I, Travis is the only person I reference in my first book besides my family, yet I pass on Uber's angel round at $4 million valuation twice. You know, my normal 25 to $50,000 check, you're talking about two to $800 million return. That's a failure, (laughs) you know, and so, but I don't, you know, like, like it's crazy, right? Like that's like game changing, right? Like I think, you know, I don't know your psyche, but like saying no twice in a time when you were saying yes to a ton of shit and you said no to one of your best friends twice and it turned out to be one of the biggest companies of all time. I mean, I don't know, maybe it's like, I might have pulled off one of the biggest failures ever. (laughs) I just don't even think about it that way. It's just the cost of entry, it's part of the sport. I I don't dwell on it. I I probably have so many more failures, I'm just incapable of synthesizing them. The level of disrespect I have for my failures is overwhelming, I believe way too many people who respect the shit out of their failures. Fuck your failures. Everybody else is judging your failures.
2: Is there any way how you can train this, like that you don't care about your failures and you know that you let somebody down? It, I
0: think it's predicated on self-esteem and genuine love for what you're doing. And so I don't know if that's teachable, but it, I do think there's a framework. If you ask me why my answer was just that, it's that I love losing as much as I love winning because I love the game. And they both are, like Uber, you know, I think you've got to read on this. Like, I love it. That's why I talk about it. Yeah, I love it. I fucking love it. And, and, uh, and so I think that's one. And then I think self-esteem. I'm confident in a macro that I'll make it up. My vulnerability is being very bitter in my elder years when I don't have as much time. I'm so happy to be doing this that when I know that I get to do this for another 45 years, it's hard for me to be upset about something that happened. 5 minutes ago or last year or 7 years ago. What I'm worried about, my kryptonite is being 83, 87 and knowing there's just not 20 years to go, right? Mm-hmm. And so like that will be something that I worry about to be very frank with you. I'm 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 optimistic that I'll sell myself on some other you know, fruit's grandchildren, who knows what, but it is something that I think about, which is I'm just so optimistic and it's predicated on just more time and time will go away
2: you are because this morning we had a little bit of mix-up in the morning and I and I was like kind of upset you know because like uh you're a busy guy and I thought like I'm wasting your time if I'm don't de- if I'm not going to deliver exactly the thing that we agreed on but you told me like no you didn't waste it, you didn't waste my time and like you know we we talked about some different stuff but like You know, for me, it was, like, that experience that I cared so much about you and, like, not letting you down.
0: I think that too many people... So, look, I think money and success expose people. I don't think it changes them. So, yeah, like, you had some other people that were supposed to join our meeting this morning. They didn't show up. I don't think my time is so much more valuable than yours. I just don't. So, I did what... I believe in the most, which is, I adjusted to the situation. People didn't show up and we did some other shit. (laughs) You know, like, I just think that people that would make you feel bad about that, and by the way, plenty of important big people make you feel bad about that. I just think they're fuck faces, (laughs) (laughs) you know? I love you. (laughs) (laughs) I I just think, I think they're imposing their insecurities on you when they make you feel bad about that.
2: Awesome. You have a question here. And then... Hey, Gary. Name tag. Name
1: tag. I'm not that good. Uh,
0: Hello, Madison. (laughs) uh, Thank
1: you for coming to Hong Kong, sharing your time with us. Of course. Great to have you. Um, You've touched a little bit on intelligence. Of course, that's not what you really want to focus on, evangelizing, work ethic, the hustle. Um, But what about purpose? Because you found the trifecta of harnessing your intelligence, doing the grind, but for people that are still trying to find that purpose so that it's really mission oriented so that they can sustain themselves. Yeah. What can you tell us about finding your purpose?
0: I think you need to try to go insular and taste things. Like purpose is a fancy word for happiness. I think if you break it down, you know, purpose, what's my purpose? What's my why? My homie Simon, right? Yeah, it's semantics. Like like for me, you know, I I can't stress enough. You have to, again, and I'm gonna keep pounding this because I need you to understand. When I was five, I thought it was, when I was seven, when I was nine, on a summer day, I'm a kid of the 80s in America, which means you went outside and you played, right? I thought it was more fun to convince, manipulate, whatever semantic word you want to use, my friends into standing behind lemonade stands or ringing people's doorbells and washing their cars. Like, it's my true love, right? Like, like, and I don't think most people want to follow their true love because A, my true love was building a business that makes money, which is very practical. You know, I think if somebody's true love is music, they haven't figured out how to make it monetizable because they have friction because their true love is something, but they also want money and stuff. And I think that people waver. I think people struggle to find purpose because they overvalue things and people's opinions over their own true happiness. It's as basic as it gets. So I think that people, I think everybody here, if I told them, Everything is going to be okay. You can have everything you want. Now, what are you going to do with your day? I think a lot of people know. It could be anything. If if you were to then watch movies all day. Like if we played this game and you're like, "Okay, everything? Well, fuck, I don't wanna do shit. I just want to watch movies." Cool. I think you should build a business around that. <laughs> right? Like to me like great, right? So like I, I think people are scared. I think people are scared. I think they're scared what people will think and I think they're scared that they can't survive living the life that they wanna live from a materialistic standpoint. What makes me so dangerous is I don't need anything. I don't need anything, I don't need anybody, and that's it, and so I'm good. And, and I wish that on everybody. You know how nice it is to not rely on anybody for anything at all, ever? not emotionally not financially not it's just a, it's the zen zone but purpose is to make yourself happy i'm a nice guy cuz i like admiration and so i have to give it that's my pur- but but it's all predicated on making me happy i'm nice <laughs> because it makes me feel good what they say about me yeah like like you, you have to understand it's very basic and so yeah i think people are scared I, I, listen, if I could ever convince you that you don't need shit, you would be off to the races. If you could unmaterialistic yourself, you'd be fucking fuck, you know?
2: Uh, over there, little girl. Um,
1: I've been working on a startup myself, and I've and despite <laughs> everyone being really nice, I've always noticed that there's sort of like you're a bit too young to do this. Yes. How do you get par- past the stereotypes or limitations? I-,
0: I think you know the answer, Hillary. I think it's in your own head, right? Like the bottom line is, do you agree with them? Great, you're on your fucking way, <laughs> uh, right? Like, like, like. Listen, I, is your mom here? Like, there she is. Like, you know, like, <coughs> sh- like you're already you've already won, right? Like, y- your question. To be, do you want to hear something interesting, Hillary? I don't think you even believe in the question that you just asked me. And that is the ultimate compliment. Because spending time with you backstage yesterday, like, I think that's a cute question. But I actually don't think you give a shit.
2: <laughs>
0: Do you give a shit of what people think? Occasionally. Right. <laughs> I respect that. i <laughs> am I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you something really exciting. You're 12, right? Yeah, so I'm gonna tell you something super exciting. When I was 12, I occasionally cared what people thought too. That shit goes away real quick. (laughs) That's the answer. Like what? Like what? Your teacher or your uncle Rick fucking thinks that you're too early? Like it's just not gonna matter at the end, Hillary. Here's what's gonna happen. Either you're right or they're right. That's what's gonna happen at the end. Spending any time debating Who's cheering for what outcome or what point of view is a complete waste of your energy?
2: So we have maybe we have time for like two more quick ones. So yes, we have, so we have uh,
0: 30 on the back end for a book like that. Yeah, so because so let, we have let, uh, we let's, have. Let's, like. Let's do 20 of that. Let's do a little more questions. Okay, it's more cool.
2: Valuable. Cool. So we have more. Okay, please. Hi,
1: uh, Gary. And we have to to the
0: back, right? Like people in the back, you want to ask a question, right? Yeah. Just okay. raise your
2: hand.
1: Hi Gary, this is Mac. Um, I have a question. You know exactly Silicon Valley value, uh, Silicon Valley, and then uh, values
0: and the businesses, people over there. Uh, Hong Kong, Singapore, a lot of places in China wants to kind of copy this kind of values as uh, standards. Um, what they are um, and how we can learn from this place over there. So uh, that would make me, Mac, that would make me really sad if asia started replicating silicon valley standards you know well first of all if you look at for example the chinese social network ecosystem and platforms they because of the payment integration have much better business models like you know silicon valley bless you silicon valley <laughs> silicon valley vc let's let's let me, let me rephrase it's not silicon valley when people say silicon valley what we're referring to is venture capital The venture capital model is very practical. Stress all your companies to be non-practical so that one gets through and makes your fund return on its non-practicality. All that's happened in the last seven years of putting venture capital business mindset to the forefront is we've taught a lot of people to not be entrepreneurs. We've taught a lot of people of how to worship fundraising, not business building. The number one mistake Asia would make is to follow the Silicon Valley blueprint. That's it, man. It's in a, if you're talking about innovation, like innovation will always matter, but innovation happens all over the world. Silicon Valley is just where kids go after good shit happens. Like, Like Facebook was invented in Boston. Pinterest was invested, invented in Pennsylvania like like you know it's this is such this is the same bullshit that universities trade on silicon valley trades on brand harvard trades on brand these these things are not as valuable as we think we're worshiping the wrong thing so how can you prove on it what can you take out of it look I think the entrepreneurial spirit is very alive and well in Asia. I think it's, unlike other parts of the world, it is a religion here just like it is in America. So I think that's the cost of entry. It's optimism. It's where failure isn't a death blow in society. It may hurt, but it's not a death blow. Really tough to fail in an entrepreneurial venture in Western Europe, really tough. So I think that, um, I think spending any time you know, even, I mean, my best advice for Asia is to not pay attention to America at all.
2: Got a question somewhere. You have a mic, right? Hi, Gary. My name's Shin. Um, Shin. My question is, with so many opportunities coming your way, how do you decide the people you want to work with and collaborate with?
0: Intuition. And and Shin, to be honest with you, what a shit answer, right? Because it brings no value to anybody here other than I just have to tell you the truth. It's fuck. Like, it's, it's what I go on, you know? It's because I'm willing to fire fast. People have their ego tied up into hiring, it's insane. Hiring is such a subtle thing. Partnerships, hiring, and investing, such a subtle thing. People love to be romantic about their judgment and character, thus it deems them non-actionable when it most matters. Guys, humility is the game. I've got plenty of bravado and peacocking. I understand why it might be hard to see my humility, but humility is my strength. I, I intuitively think that person's awesome. I get to hang out with them for a week. I realize they're an idiot, I need to move. Most people disguise it so that people didn't think they made the call wrong in the first
2: place. Cool, is there any other question?
1: I have a question. <laughs> okay. uh, sorry, thank you so much Gary for being here. Um, what is the one question that no one is asking but that everyone should be, in your opinion?
0: God, this has been such a tough question when it's come up. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> it really is, this is one of the toughest questions. I, to, to really answer your question properly, the question they should be asking is the thing that they're most scared to say out loud. The question they should be asking is, hey Gary, it's Shin here, you know. uh, So, my dad is insecure, and thus, it's manifested in a way where he's making me do this. I love my dad, but I don't want to do this, and it's causing real friction in my household, and my mom is of a generation that she blindly listens to my dad, and this feels very toxic, what should I do? That's the question, and every other question that looks like it, right? The question that should be asked is the one that nobody wants to say out loud
1: because it exposes them. Over there, in the back. Hello, Gary. Hey. How are you? Very well. I'm from China. Good. Actually, I'm with your Chinese translation team here. So uh, my question is about kind of about the uh, retail business? Retail. Yeah. So um, for the past 10 days, there has been an article on WeChat. It's been reposted by the um, 2,800 accounts and read 100 million times. I hope, small, I really- uh,
0: Small numbers by China standards.
1: <laughs> uh, okay. I'm, kidding, I'm kidding. It's, go it's, ahead. It's kind of big on WeChat. Yeah, go though. ahead. Um, by the way, I, re- I really wish that it was one of your articles. But we'll see. <laughs> okay. Um, it's about it's about the um, the new supermarket that Alibaba has recently opened. Okay. There's no human being on it. There's no human beings in it. Yeah. You just you just went in and grabbed grabbed the product and went out and then yeah. the payment will be deducted from your Alipay account. Phenomenal. Yeah. I, so, can, I
0: can literally not wait for the robots to kill all of us. Okay.
1: Okay. Sounds good.
0: <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> Thank you.
1: <laughs> so um, the online giants, they're going back to offline. The, the, the similar case would be Amazon uh, opened the first physical store back in 2015 in Seattle. And a few weeks ago, Amazon just uh, bought whole the whole course. food. Yeah. So the giants, the on- online giants, they, are, they have all the money and resources to do that. Um, That's good. Yeah, it's a good. It's a good. My question is just. Uh, you know how this all plays out, right? Yeah.
0: You know, consolidation and then fragmentation. Consolidation so it's and then going, fragmentation.
1: Consolidation. It's going to be the next generation to breathe hair business. Of
0: course, my man. What always happens in the history of time of capitalism is, once in a generation, entrepreneurs come and gobble up the landscape and become the legendary figures of their generation and then they either get fat and slow and young companies find angles within it, or they die and then different people come and run the company that suck. But like, these are just cycles. We had a new frontier, it was called the internet. It changed everything. It's still very young. Pioneers land grabbed the same way that people bought up property thousands of years ago, hundreds of years ago, right? And then the the, the Maas and the Bezoses, they become these iconic people. Then they either die or stop running the companies. And then youngsters see the vulnerabilities in the new thing. Do you understand that in 20 years, there'll be virtual reality and then every piece of infrastructure in our physical and internet world will become vulnerable and there'll be new people that land grab and the new Maas and the Bezoses, Karen, Ma is gonna start a virtual world where she owns all of the retail world because everything now becomes virtual because that's how we communicate in an augmented, you know, world. And so, cool.
1: Yeah. So Great. I'm glad I don't have to take out my is... fucking
0: wallet going to fucking the
1: store. Yeah, totally. Um, so, but... what's the question? <laughs> So, um, as the trend is coming, what is the potential threat and opportunity for the individual online retailers? The littler ones? The individual, like you encourage people to sell things on eBay, so there's, there's a lot unlimited,
0: of- There's unlimited, my man, how much do you think Amazon and Alibaba and everybody else, what percentage of every transaction in the world do you think they'll ultimately own?
1: I have no fucking idea.
0: No problem. <laughs> let, me, let me give you an answer. Not enough to allow trillions of people to make tons of money.
1: Yeah, sure. Makes sense. The end. Thanks. You're welcome
0: hi Gary I'm mint from South growing Guangzhou chapter and I have a question it's like a, like a question you just mentioned okay like uh, I'm a young entrepreneur yes but I'm now in a stage that I want to catch every opportunity in front of me okay and like I'm I think everything is important everything like big benefit to my life so I want to uh, do you have any suggestion of how I choose this thing because uh, every time every day I sleep only four hours right to self arrogate that's really a problem. I, I think the answer is to not judge yourself. Not, not judge myself. That's right. So you're deploying 20 hours of taking advantage of all these opportunities, right? Yeah. The reason you asked me that question mm-hmm. is you're laying at bed right before you go to sleep for your four hours and you're questioning yourself if you did the right things with those 20 hours instead of the other things you could have done, right? Mm-hmm. So you're judging yourself. Okay. (laughs) So, the punchline to that question and answer is this, you will never be able to do everything. You have unlimited, you're you're such a fortunate young woman, you have unlimited, you're crippled by opportunity. Yeah. So, just do as much shit as you can in your 20 hours, Mm -hmm. and then wake up the next morning and do it again, but never think about it ever again. Okay, sure, thanks. Okay, good.
2: (laughs) So, 10 seconds. 10 seconds. 10 second question if you have over there. You're awesome. yeah. Yes,
1: awesome. I don't know if this is going to be quick. I'm Adrian. Uh, Adrian. Gary. So, taking a slightly different turn. With all the entrepreneurial stuff that you do, what's the biggest tip you have with dealing with your wife? And what do you do not uh, what do you not compromise on with your kids? Um
0: so two things with my wife and with any relationship you have you first have to make yourself happy because if you're not happy, you have vulnerability to the entire ecosystem. So I, this is something that is super politically incorrect. This is not the answer that most people like hear or want but I'm selfish which allows me to be selfless. How do I handle it with my wife? I over communicate with her and keep checking in and we talk about it all the time as our lives evolve. What is non-negotiable? What is, what isn't? I. In the last three, four years, I'm spending more time with my family, not less. It doesn't feel that way because of the way I'm doing content and distribution, but I am, you know, and then it's compounded because one of the lines in the sand is we don't show our family to the world. So you don't see content about my two kids or my wife ever. The most searched term besides me, Gary Vaynerchuk, is Gary Vaynerchuk wife because, (laughs) you know, Followed very closely by Gary Vaynerchuk, net worth. Uh, so, so, you know, uh, so I just communicate. And my hope is that I create a framework that makes her feel comfortable to communicate things too that she wants to say that I may not want to hear, right? The non-negotiable things with my kids is if I am in New York City and they have a function, I will not miss it. So there is no meeting, there's no CEO, no famous person, no business opportunity that will trump a recital or a play if I'm in New York. But I miss things all the time because I'm not in New York and I don't judge myself, (laughs) right? So I do the best I can. And uh, I think the political correctness of parenting and work-life balance right now is a very hot topic and I try not to talk about it too much because we all have different relationships and different situations. Nobody knows what's going on in my bedroom and I don't know what's going on in yours. I think it's about communication with the only people that matter. You can judge my work-life balance from afar, I just don't give a fuck. But I really care what my wife thinks, right? Communication.
2: Awesome. We don't have enough time. We could be jamming for like 15 hours. Um, So, before we go on, guys, if you have the books, Okay, that's it. Did you like it? Loved it? Please, if so, leave a review on iTunes because this is gonna help us to bring this content, this podcast to even more people all around the world. Also, of course, if there was something that was missing that we should do better, let us know as well. Give us feedback. Leave a comment. We want to hear from you because we want to provide you even more value by doing this and by creating this content. Also, stay tuned because we have more good stuff coming soon. We have interviews with people like Ben Horowitz, Jan Kom from WhatsApp and many, many, many more. So as I said, stay tuned. And in the meantime, keep up the grind.